Bible together, one chapter at a time. And just, man, it's awesome reading these chapters in Isaiah. Looking at Isaiah 11 today. And this is just another one of these just beautiful chapters that you, you get this kind of Christmas imagery here. This is uh, some stuff that you see sometimes in Advent when we're getting ready for Christmas. You know, you have here, it's, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And, and you get that prophecy, and you see that in connection to the coming of Christ. You get that in, in the imagery that you get in our hymns. You know, so, I mean, it's, it's just beautiful stuff here. And it's just continuing everything that we had going on in chapter 10 and going into chapter 12 next time. But, you know, there's some really specific language in here that has to deal with, you know, these different places around the world. It's talking about a highway emerging from Assyria and, you know, people, uh, the people of Israel stretching out their hand against Edom and Moab and the Ammonites and, you know, gathering the, gathering the dispersed and the banished from the four corners of the earth from Egypt and Pathros and Cush and Elam and Shinar and Hamath. What's going on with all of that? You know, how how is that fitting things together with these images that we, you know, kind of immediately associate with Christmas? So uh, we're going to put the pieces together. We're going to try to see if we can, as we have been the last few times, really kind of appreciate this in context and see how that really just sheds even more light on the Savior. And joining us today, we have Pastor Paul Kane. Pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church, fitting name for looking at these chapters of Isaiah, um, from Sheridan, Wyoming. Welcome back, brother. It's been a little bit of time, but I do remember, uh, I really enjoyed when we had you on last time, and I think I remember, I think you remember, I remember you bringing up a couple different hymn references, and so I hope you have some of those handy, because this is a good one for that. I do. Thanks for having me back. Fantastic. Very good. How are you doing, brother? Well, it's uh, been a busy week. We're well into the swing of the new school year. Um, had a funeral here in Sheridan, Wyoming yesterday with a burial two and a half hours north in Montana. Oh, wow. We just yeah, had rain, right. not quite snow, but you can see it mm. up on the higher altitudes already. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Everything is, um, I mean, just all the distances are, I suppose, larger out there. You don't, don't stop and think about that. They sure can be. <laughs> so it's if nice to... I'm not to... hosting the Winkle, the closest one is 35 minutes away. Otherwise, it's a couple of hours. Oh, yikes. Yikes. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's easy to take for granted if you're in um, Southern California or um, or even in St. Louis, where the churches are literally five minutes away from each other. Um, so just a very different, very different ballgame. But so good yeah. to have you with us. And I mean, I think that you're our, our lone representative from Wyoming. So it's really great to have you uh, with, on, on the program here. And, and yeah, just a, a nice opportunity just to kind of slow down here and just, I, I mean, the, the imagery, it's, it's very restful, right? Cause we're going to get into this. I didn't mention this in the intro, but you have like the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the lion, sh- the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the lion and the calf. I mean, it, it's very idyllic. It's, um, it's a quite a heavenly vision here. It is. It's the seemingly impossible possible 
the Lord in, has in a word that's down, for Yeah, the Lord has broken down traditional barriers and has brought about reconciliation between enemies and seeming enemies. Um, I'm always disturbed by the child playing over the whole of the cobra, though. <laughs> I was just thinking that this morning. This morning, I was just thinking about that. Like, this is either like very idyllic, or it's like a good way to like give like a young mother like a you know like a small panic attack just reading this out loud. <laughs> just like, yeah. But um, yeah, certainly, just uh, very, very as as you were saying, just seemingly impossible uh, imagery. So, really good stuff. I'm just excited about the entire chapter. Um, it's so it's it's great. It's a shorter one. It's not as short as chapter 12. Uh, next time we're just going to have six verses on our hands, um, but 16. So it's good to be able to have a good chunk of time still to get into this stuff. But let's go ahead. And as we do, would you say a prayer for everybody uh, listening and for us as well as we dive into this? Yes. O oh God, our maker and redeemer, you wonderfully created us. And in the incarnation of your son, yet more wondrously restored our human nature. Grant that we may ever be alive in him who made himself to be like us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's get into this here. Now, Isaiah 11, it should, it should, it's worth saying here. In the English translation, it starts off, you know, there shall come forth. And you've got, you know, it's a new paragraph. You've got like the title in the ESV, the righteous reign of the branch. Um, that's a pretty good title, I think. Yeah. But, you know, it makes it seem like it's, uh, it's like a whole other thing. But in, in Hebrew, it actually starts with the word and. Like it just literally continues with the exact same constructions that you had in the previous chapter. Um, and, and, and you see that just then going on again in chapter 12. So even though we've gone and put in these different titles and these different big chapter numbers, 11 and 12 are really just continuing what we already had going on in chapter 10. Um, and, and we saw that last time how in chapter 10, which in turn is actually just continuing that last part of nine, you, you make this move from, um, you know, the, the anger of God, his hand is stretched out still, right, to, to woe on Assyria, which then is how you get this salvation for this stump. So, I mean, thinking about that, let, let's just kind of read this just the first verse and kind of then take a minute to appreciate how the context helps us understand what this stump is so verse one there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit so yeah it doesn't sound particularly triumphant to have just a, a stump um and it's, it's interesting the language a stump of jesse so what's going on here and how does this stump and branch uh, metaphor and image make sense in the context that we've been looking at? Well, a stump uh, talks about judgment, but Jesse yeah. is really the key to this. And you need to know something about Jesse's family. We're not right. talking about the Dukes of Hazard here. <laughs> that some of my generation might remember, but we're talking about Jesse, the father of David, who was, the king 
Mm-hmm. We're talking about a royal reboot here. Mm-hmm. And the Lord is providing a new shoot, new growth, a new branch uh, from this formerly cut off um, tree. And there is going to be fruit this time. It's not going to be like the, the bad fruit that uh, we know of from First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles of all of these kings who did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord. This time there is going to be a new king, not only of the line of David, the family of David, but is a new David. This is the promise of the Messiah fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And, and of course, um, as we've been saying that, you know, all of these prophecies of Isaiah, even though he's, you know, talking to King Ahaz and he's talking to the Israelites and the, the Judites in his own day, uh, the ultimate fulfillment of all of these things is in Jesus Christ. Cause I mean, he, he is, like you were saying, he's the real, you know, heir of David, the new David. Um, this is the, the typology that we're talking about. There's these sorts of things that happened in the past, but they get repeated in a bigger and better way in the future. Um, but taking a moment to kind of think about that typology here. So if, if Jesus is the ultimate and bigger and better fulfillment of these words here, um, you know, why, what's this, this stump talking about in the context of chapters 10 and, uh, 11, um, I mean, 10 and nine, I guess we were saying earlier, because uh, those chapters were talking about things being cut down and being humbled, weren't they? Right. The Assyrian Empire, not to be confused with Syria, though you do have some overlap in territory, it's massive. Um, It covers places that we might locate on the map today as uh, the country of Turkey, Iraq, Kuwait, parts of Iran, and essentially all of the turmoil places of um, Israel, Syria, Jordan, all of those places. The Assyrian Mm -hmm. Empire was massive, and in divine judgment, the Lord cut them down like a tree. And that's your chapter 10 language uh, from the previous day. Isaiah is going to see what happened several decades later. The divine judgment would cut down the kingdom of David, the son of Jesse, and then the Lord always brings forth um, his new promises. So we're getting ready to talk about the time of Messiah Jesus in the flesh, because we know Jesus is God. Jesus is also man, uh, descended according to the flesh from David. Right. So, you know, so you mentioned earlier that, you know, the, the idea of bearing fruit. And when you look at David's line, you know, Isaiah has been talking about these different kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz. Certainly he had a lot of bad things to say about what was going on under Jotham and Ahaz, that you had fruit, but it was uh, bad fruit. It was the fruit of, of evil deeds, the fruit that's grown from a, a corrupt heart that does not know God. And so you, you have 
as you were saying, the imagery in chapter 10, we looked at this last time, it's like the same sort of imagery that you have in the preaching of John the Baptist with the axe, um, you know, there at the tree. And, and so there in chapter 10, you have this idea that, you know, the axe, and actually it calls it uh, this, that the axe is Assyria. The axe, um, they're, they're the tool in God's hand, and he's going to go and fell this tree, the tree being um, I mean, the house of David, Judah, Jerusalem, right? And so this happens, right? When the siege comes, the Assyrians bring siege to there, and that's kind of this way of chopping down the tree. But then there's that reversal in chapter 10, like we saw, that he's going to say, hey, this axe is uh, getting arrogant. It, it's showing signs of hubris here. And so uh, the axe itself is is judged and, and cut down. So in this moment now, where the angel of the Lord has um, has sent this this burning sickness among the Assyrians, and they got to go and uh, return home to Nineveh. You've got the end of the siege, the end of the the Assyrian presence in Judah, and you're left with just this stump of Jerusalem, right? And the prom the promise here, in, in the local sense, in the immediate sense, being that hey, this this stump of Jerusalem uh, with this with this son of David here there's going to be some new growth. There's going to be a time of peace now, finally enjoyed after all of this chaos. And that hopeful new growth um, shows up, of course, when this text is read in church. Uh, if you're using the Lutheran Service Book One Year series, this is the Old Testament lesson for the first Sunday after Christmas. Uh, if you're using the Three Year series, you only get to hear it um on the second Sunday in Advent of Memory Serves. Mm -hmm. But it sounds so Christmassy that we have this new hope right. coming, and that also bears fruit in the hymns of the Church. Mm -hmm. um, many Christians love to sing, Lo, How a Rose Air Blooming, yep. hymn 359, if you want to look at it in Lutheran Service Book, where there's this rose language, uh, Anglican and uh, Episcopal hymnody often uses Jesus Christ, the apple tree, where there's mm. this connection with uh, the tree in Genesis, where the forbidden fruit is assumed to be an apple, where we can't necessarily uh, make that connection, so that doesn't show up in a, in a Lutheran hymnal. But... Um, but you know, it, it, it's a good pun, though. It's actually I, I, I um I tell people this little bit of trivia sometimes that you know it's the tree of good and evil. Well, what, how do you say the tree of good and evil in Latin? You know, which used to be kind of the the, the church language or the tradition that we come from. And um, well, wouldn't you yeah. know it? The word for evil is pretty much identical to the word for apple. So um, <laughs> it's uh, if, yeah. if nothing else, yeah, it's a that. it's a clever play on words. It certainly is. And the comforting language with a familiar hymn, um, even though it's a little high for some of the basses and the altos, <laughs> because we're warmed up by that point in the, in the church year, we can just belt this out. It came as a floweret bright amid the cold of winter when half spent was the night. Jesus comes. Isaiah twas foretold it. And it's of Jesse's lineage. So such marvelous language echoing uh, the branch coming forth. 
It right. doesn't sound boring in hymnody. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's true. I don't think it sounds boring here either. But let's um let's go ahead no, and read maybe <laughs> a few more verses here. Let's let's a little bit more about the kind of fruit that this branch bears, right? Because we're about to get this sort of uh, fruit described. And um, and actually, it's kind of interesting. It seems like it's fruit of the Spirit. So uh, reading on from verse 2 to verse 5. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So yeah, this this description of this of this righteous king and um it's it really it seems to be i mean again it's just um in the context what was the problem right you 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 had you know the the contrast was that under Jotham and Ahaz there was this this bloodthirstiness this kind of like hey let's just you know take advantage of of the poor let's you know um we'll we'll just buy them off for just like a you know a few pieces of silver or or just a you know a pair of sandals right there's this sort of just just wanton um lust for power and greed that's going on um just well, I mean throughout Judah and Israel but especially in those upper echelons the, the king is the kings are corrupt along with everyone in their administrations and so what a contrast then that this king it says here, he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. And someone might say, like, well, hang on a second. What are you going by if you're not going to, like, look at the evidence? Well, no, it means here he's not going to be swayed by appearances. Instead, he's going to go by righteousness. He's not going to care what kind of clothes the guy is wearing. He's not going to go by, you know, how well-spoken he is and, you know, how many fancy, you know, $5 words he knows. Um, he's going to decide in favor of the poor and the meek. And it's these, the poor and the meek, that are coming clearly into focus here. He's he, They're going to be taken care of, and God's instrument for caring for the poor is his chosen righteous king. Indeed. That righteousness is important. Um, when we preach to children at our um, classical Lutheran school, they understand the idea of fairness. Yeah. And that's what what really makes um, verses 3 and 4 appealing to both children and adults. We want what's totally fair, and this branch is going to bring that fruit with him. Um, it, it's very interesting to me some of the things that are almost hidden in the text but they're in plain sight if you've got the original Hebrew in front of you. Mm. Um, for example, in verse 2, you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Or actually, uh, you've got the Spirit, you've got the Father, and the Son, to put it in that particular order. It evokes uh, Jesus' baptism um, by John in the Jordan River, there's a very easy connection with the preaching of John and the baptizing of John. If you're 
putting it into the Gospel of Matthew word order. I didn't want to lose one detail from uh, verse 1. The word for branch is Nazar, and Mm. it just so happens to sound like Nazarene, Hmm. and may help us better understand Matthew 2.23 about the fulfillment that he would be called a Nazarene. Scholars um, of all time have always struggled to figure out what prophecy that is. Might as well be Isaiah 11.1 here. Mm -hmm. So we have this human uh, descendant of Jesse, a new David, verse 1, He is the Lord, Spirit, Lord, Him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, verse 2. He's going to be utterly fair, judging in righteousness, verses 3 and 4, and then reinforcing that righteousness in language that St. Paul echoes with the whole armor of God uh, with verse 5 here. Right. Yeah, I know that that's true. I mean, like there really is just like so much going on in the, the the details of the language here. And I mean, it's certainly from a Christian perspective, you can't help but you know read things like you were saying, like verse two and, you know, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Right. And it's like, well, I mean, what, what did we what did we see in the baptism of our Lord? The spirit came and descended and rested upon him. Um, so, you know, just these sorts of things that when, when you look at it, it's just, um, yeah, your, your minds are, your, your minds totally going there. Um, you know, what's, what's interesting though, is that, uh, I mean, you, you look at some of the descriptors and, you know, you don't necessarily, um, I don't know, I mean, it's actually kind of ironic actually when I think about it, you know, some of these things like, you know, judging or deciding disputes, you know, it, it's not as if yeah. um, our Lord came and he like established himself like as the Davidic king and all his majesty and he, you know, set up court and, you know, had people came in and gave them his, their disputes, right? In fact, you you think of the time in the gospels where, um, someone said, you know, hey, uh, you know, Lord, tell tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. And he says, man, who made me judge of your case, right? <laughs> he actually shows uh, yeah. reluctance to do that sort of thing, doesn't he? Indeed, he does. It's, it's amazing to see the fulfillment uh, all over the place. We could also go somewhere like um, uh, Luke 4 where Jesus is preaching in his own um, synagogue. Right. And you've got the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. It's a very similar move. He's reading from the scroll of the book of Isaiah. It's not specifically this text, but the two texts are are very similar. Mm -hmm. And then for him to preach one of the shortest sermons on record, today the scriptures fulfilled in your hearing. Yeah, well, that's the executive summary anyway. Interprets the new and and the new, (laughs) yeah, the new and interprets the old. Right, right. Yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, no, yeah, you definitely see, I mean, yeah, especially you mentioned Luke, I mean, just throughout Luke kind of emphasizes it, I think a lot of people say, but you see it in all the Gospels. The attention, though, yeah, maybe he doesn't necessarily set up court, you know, um, to to decide in favor of the poor and the meek of the earth, but he certainly talks about the poor and the meek. I mean, the, I mean, what, what is he talking about in the Beatitudes, right? You know, blessed are the poor, 
or or the poor in spirit, depending if we're looking at Luke or Matthew, right? And, and blessed are the meek, right? And so he's talking to them. He's he's giving them words of comfort, words of peace. He's always looking for the poor and taking care of them and um, emphasizing their role in the kingdom of heaven. And, you know, it even says striking things like, you know, how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. So the whole way he conducts his ministry, you can tell he is on the side of the poor, like is said here in Isaiah 11. And we, we could certainly say more about that, but we have to go into a short break. But hang with us, everybody. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 11 here on Nice Strong Word, and we'll be right back. Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas will host its annual fundraising golf tournament on Friday, October 4th at Heritage Ranch Golf and Country Club. In 2018, they raised over $6,000 for the athletics program along with tuition assistance. For this year, they're hoping to raise funds for their school archery program. If you'd like some more information about Faith Lutheran School and their golf tournament, contact them via their webpage, flsplano.org. Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson. You know, life is a potpourri of good experiences and really tough challenges. Through all those times you need, and so do I, the Lord's precious word and sacred music to get you through. That's what you get when you tune in to Moments of Assurance, Christ-centered songs, scripture, news items, trivia, humor, you name it. So tune in. You'll be richer for it over the noontime hour here on Worldwide KFUO. Moments of Assurance is underwritten by Mid-American Coaches. For years on Sunday mornings, Worldwide KFUO has been broadcasting live worship services for those unable to attend worship or those who enjoy hearing God's Word. This Sunday, our 8 a.m. worship comes from Blessed Savior Lutheran Church in Florissant, Missouri, with presiding pastor, Reverend Matt Rugland. Our 1030 worship comes from Beautiful Savior Lutheran Church in Bridgeton, Missouri, with presiding pastor, Reverend David Brutcher. Join us on Sunday mornings on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa, and we're looking at Isaiah chapter 11 here with our guest, Pastor Paul Kane, pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Sheridan, Wyoming. And if you have a question or comment for us, please, if you're listening live, do join the conversation. If you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850, or everybody, you can also call 1-800-730-2727. Yeah, that number works for everybody, even if you're not in St. Louis, maybe even if you're up in Wyoming or Montana. And, uh, of course, you can also send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. So we were just looking at these first several verses and just thinking about, you know, just this is the source of so much imagery, and it's just it's hard not to make lots of connections to the Gospels and seeing this in the fulfilled really ultimately in Christ. Uh, the thing that we want to think about too, though, all all of this, you know, we we were just talking about that. This kind of pattern that you have here in Isaiah, 
it seems to be repeating what you had in an earlier portion. You know, this is kind of continuing on from from chapter 10 and the second half of chapter 9. But, you know, remember what we had in chapters 7 and 8 in the first part of 9, you know, where, where we had um, not a stump uh, giving off a shoot and a branch and fruit, but you had in the midst of darkness a great light dawning, right? And there was that we talked about that great light dawning from Jerusalem, and uh, we I believe that was when we had uh, Pastor uh, Pastor Ross on, and we were talking about how ultimately that's fulfilled in Christ, and locally that's fulfilled in Hezekiah, um, who is not like his fathers, not like Jotham or Ahaz but is one who is going to turn to the word of the Lord and he's actually going to you know bring out and establish this in Judah and Jerusalem and that's why there's light uh, because the light is God's word as revealed in the scriptures and how Hezekiah is going to come and he's going to bring in these reforms and it's going to be a different way of doing business under Hezekiah and it's not going to be like uh, especially like Ahaz and and when you have the the word of the Lord as as the light, and you have that firmness in faith. Then you have a firmness then um, here in this case of the way that the uh, the whole civil life of of the people is is conducted. And you see that in verse three here in chapter eleven, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. That's um, in some ways a, a synonym for for faith that Hezekiah is um, is is turned to faith, and and that's what the we 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 didn't we didn't talk about this, but um, this is in a lot of ways kind of the playing out of that one son's name of Isaiah, uh, Shear Yeshub, um, that turning to God. Um, there's a turning to God that happens after they've been leveled down to a stump after Jerusalem has been sieged. Um, there's repentance, and there's there's a turning to God that you have, and that's why there's all this righteousness going on in the days of uh, Hezekiah. Uh, so your, your thoughts, uh, Pastor Cain, on some of the, you know, we were, we we're talking about just our, our Lord, who's the ultimate fulfillment, but kind of how this came to pass even in Isaiah's own day. I love how uh, Isaiah brings to fulfillment as he prophesies the Lord's own word about the time of Messiah, but he also gives hope to the people then and there. Mm -hmm. um, when you talk about the fear of the Lord, um, some folks will notice, especially the singers, to bring another hymn into our mix today. Mm. Amazing Grace, the original stanza two, isn't in Lutheran Worship 1982 or in a Lutheran service book. Mm. Uh, there's a different stanza two that I guess was originally a stanza five, but um, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, "'twas grace my fears relieved, something on that order, mm -hmm. was omitted from the hymnal because it used the word fear in two different definitions. With hymnal supplement 98, they, they introduced footnotes in italics to explain fun things like the word skein. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I, I love that you can talk about the being afraid kind of fear and the reverent awe right. of the what does this mean questions. We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And with Isaiah, when the Lord is using one people to punish another people, mm -hmm. that's helpful 
to see that as um, as we properly distinguish law and gospel. We know law as do and don't do, God's no. We also uh, see law in the judgment of the Lord, and it is a righteous judgment, especially as we get to chapter 11 here. And the Lord is always right. We know he is fair, and I particularly like the times when he's not fair, when he punishes Jesus instead of me for my sin. Uh, giving us that gift of his righteousness that we put on in Christ. Yeah, and, and we've we've seen that you know in, in Isaiah how the, the law and the gospel they're they're always going together. That you know if God is going to you know rescue the the poor and the needy, we saw that in chapter ten, right? Um, it's because he's going to plunder the plunderers, um, and if he's going to then you know have a reversal and save Judah, then it's going to be. Um, you know, by attacking those plunderers with Assyria and then to ultimately save them, he's going to have to turn the tables and attack Assyria. So there's that, that kind of just always, um, it's always a fearful thing, just how, how Isaiah himself, when he was in the temple in chapter six and he saw God, um, high and lifted up. That was a fearful thing, and he was uh, full of fear. And yeah, well, the, the two, just like you were saying, that the two, they always go hand in hand. There's always the reverent awe. Uh, and also the genuine fear that like a sinner experiences for us because we're both justified and sinners the two always uh, go hand in hand right there's another fearful thing in the text even as short as chapter 11 of isaiah and honestly it's the names sometimes the names of the people are hard to pronounce sometimes the place names unless we have a translation with really good footnotes or study notes, um, I'd recommend that that listeners look for um, a map as they read through the scriptures. That would be great. And especially later in this text, uh, another chapter 10, Genesis chapter 10, gives you a map for the so-called Table of Nations. Right. That's going to put things on the map that you might not find in a time of Isaiah map that mm -hmm. that will help explain things really well. You know, that's a great recommendation. And, uh, you know, sometimes you see like these patterns and when you're looking at the map and like, oh, that's a circle. And, oh, he's going from east to west and back and forth. And I mean, and you see stuff like that, but you have to be thinking about, um, you know, at least you have to have a map in your head, if nothing else. Um, but speaking of those uh, those place names in verse 11, we should probably go ahead and make a little bit more progress here. I want to read um, verses six through nine here. This this idyllic description, this you know piece of peace here that you have described. Um, take a, just a few moments to kind of look at that. So picking it up in verse six, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So, I mean, the, the, the imagery, like you were saying, it's unreal, right? Yeah. Animals that were once 
prey are hanging out with the predators. And the predators are not behaving according to the nature that we've always assumed in them since the fall into sin. Um, I I have weird questions that pop up in confirmation class or Bible class or my own head. What were mosquitoes doing in the sinless era of the Garden of Eden? Um, What were the carnivores doing? What did their teeth look like? I'd love to know some of these details, but we have the Lord's own word here that everybody's safe. Everybody is satisfied, at peace, at rest, and it is on the Lord's holy mountain. Think about all the mountains in Scripture and how the Lord protects and blesses his people. They're always sated. There's wine, there's bread, there's milk, there's honey, and there is shalom. There is peace, which is something only the Lord can give true peace. Yeah, and and I think that peace is is really the the key thing here. And in fact, we're going to see the number seven pop up um, maybe even more than once if we if we consider it. But seven is going to explicitly be said later on that number of peace and and rest. And I think that's the key here. And I know and you're 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 quite right that a lot of questions come up when you read portions like this, um, you know, and a lot of different ideas. And there's certainly a number of interpretations. And, And one of them, as you were kind of alluding to, is that, you know, could this be pointing to uh, that in the new creation that that there won't actually be predation right that you will not actually have um you know carnivores right preying on um these prey animals that just there will be total peace there will not even be any kind of a natural um you know bloodletting of any kind well i mean maybe yeah. that's what the new creation looks like it's 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 hard to say i mean the 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 closest we've got to a a foreshadowing or a picture of the new creation is uh the lord jesus who came out of the tomb on easter and um i mean that's that's the image you have and he didn't have any animals with him so it's it's hard to say definitively <laughs> what that's going to look like but may, maybe so maybe so that that's what that's like that we get all the the animals that we've had on earth but that we just enjoy them and just in in total in total peace without without a worry in the world that you know maybe that's a good way of looking at it um another way another way i'll, I'll put that out here is that you know who what were we just talking about we were just talking about the poor and the meek right um those who are taken advantage of and those who are often described as prey right that was exactly how they were described in chapter 10 right they were described as there, there's a there's that word um we looked at the name of um, isaiah's other son maher shalal hashbaz right and um that yeah, that word there in his name What's that? Say that's five times fast. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But so we saw in that name, which means um, the 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 spoil speeds and the prey hastens, right? We saw that in chapter ten that the poor and the needy they're described as be, you know preyed upon that that they're that they're looked upon like you know uh, spoils for the taking or or, or just plunder uh, to be robbed, right? And, and that word for that word for plunder is the same word for for prey there. And so, you know, here you have then in chapter 11 talking about this righteous king who's going to decide and give justice uh, for the poor and the meek. And 
there you have the prey animals, right? And so I, I think that in a big way, this is, this is representing that the poor and the meek finally don't have to worry. They're finally not going to get just, you know, eaten and trounced and trapped and, and taken advantage of. They don't have to live their lives in fear anymore that the powerful are going to take advantage of them. It seems like it is in the nature of those with wealth and power to take advantage and to abuse their positions um, and all the rest of it. But that's not going to happen here. And, um, no. and certainly in Hezekiah, you have that happen in a small way. You do. These animals that are also considered prey animals, um, you've got a number of them mentioned in these verses we're talking about that were sacrificial animals, atoning mm. sacrifice animals. Yeah. And yes, they fear the predators, but they're no longer they no longer need to be sacrificed as a substitute for humans, for us, because Jesus has been that once for all sacrifice. I think that that's a really another really good way of kind of looking at that as the ultimate fulfillment, right? That you know, in, in, right. in the local fulfillment, okay, under Hezekiah, there's not going to be, um, you know, well, I mean, truth be told, as much abuse of power, um, and there's going to be peace, and there's going to be more justice, at least for the poor. But in that ultimate Christ fulfillment, at the end, yeah, there's not going to be any need to be sacrificing the um, the fattened calf or the young goat, right? We saw in Numbers, those young right. goats, man, they're sacrificed all the time. Anytime you have a sacrifice, the young goat, yeah, they're, they're a ghost, right? Um, but they don't have to fear that because there's no sin that needs to be atoned for anymore. It's all been covered and there's uh, no more sin um, that's that's cropping up because it's all been put put away and done away with. Jesus is our once-for-all substitute, and you have all of the all of the mountain imagery from Abraham almost sacrificing his son, his only son, who he loves, and then there's a ram caught in the thicket. But uh, ultimately, there Jesus is our substitute. There is no substitute for him. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's, let's, um, you know, so much more could be said about it. It is a beautiful, beautiful picture. Um, but we do need to look at, we were saying this, this, um, this description of all these different places. Cause this, this is, this is also where you get, I think that name of Isaiah's son, Shear Yeshub coming back into the picture here, this return. Um, there is on one level a turning to God, right? A, a returning, the, the remnant that's re left in Jerusalem is finally moved to repentance, right? Turn to the Lord your God, yeah. that kind of idea. But there's going to be a, a, a kind of more literal return, like from a distance, from a place, from, you know, like we, we, we had to go, you know, a very long ways away out to Montana, but we're finally going to need to come back home, right? <laughs> so let, let's yeah. talk about this here in this uh, second half of the chapter. I'll just go ahead and read it in its entirety. Um, and, and then we can kind of like go back and look at some of the details if you want to bring out some of the particular places or something like that. Um, but so here we are picking okay. it up in, uh, in verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time 
to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt, and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath, and strike it into seven channels. And he will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria, from the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt." So, so th this is interesting. I, I guess I was already kind of, um, you know, tipping my hand a bit. There, there seems to be this east-west play going on here in this portion, right? Right. We ended up with, um, well, a north-south one. By the time we get to thirteen, you've got Ephraim and Judah. Mm -hmm. There's not going. There's going to be a reconciliation. So you've yeah. got the after the the division, Judah in the south, uh, and Benjamin, and then the other ten tribes up in the north. That's basically going to be be dealt with, and then all of the places give you, um, if you can remember where everything is, this incredible east west play as as you're talking about um, Egypt. Most folks can find that on a map. Uh, Pathros, a little south of there, Kush, a little south of there, all in um, the northeast corner of Africa, um, southwest of Israel. You've got Assyria to the east encompassing um, much of that area in their empire. Elam, uh, north of what we call Kuwait today, Hamath uh, to the north. And the Lord is raising up a signal. He's raising up a flag, and everybody gets gathered to the flag. The Lord is right. gathering to himself a people, even as he does today in word and sacrament, uh, where uh, in that we have heaven on earth. Right. Uh, that yeah, no, worship you... is a preview of the in that day language, in the fullness of the time of Messiah. Right. You're right. And, and certainly just having the two poles play off each other, you know, you think of verses like, you know, as far as the East is from the West, so far has he removed our transgressions from us that by, by, by having right. these poles mentioned, it just describes the, the universal and the totally complete scope of God's salvation. And, and that's certainly something that you see. I mean, ultimately, as we've been saying in Christ, because it's in Christ that, you know, like we have, I think it was in John 11 that there's the description that when he is lifted up, all the nations are drawn to him. That idea that, you know, yeah. really it's in Christ that, that everybody, you know, all nations, like it says at the end of Matthew, are finally folded in. So, so in Christ, you, you, you have this happen in a dramatic way. The, the thing that I think is a little bit uh, harder to sometimes put together is how this is, as you were putting it earlier, is, is giving that kind of 
local hope, that like near hope in the day of Isaiah, because it's talking about a return here, but they didn't have like a return from exile in the same way that there would later be one like from the Babylonian exile, right? There's not going to be a King Cyrus who comes in and gives like a big edict and says, here, I'm going to give you, you know, lots of money to, to rebuild the temple. And here's the sacrificial animals too. They're not going to quite get that. So um, what, what do we make of this in the, in the local context? You are correct. It, it is very difficult to put our fingers on this because Isaiah is talking about what he's seeing. He is prophesying because the Lord gave him that sight of what is going to happen. But we often have to look at, at other prophets for the, the final destruction and what that time in exile is like. You've got Jeremiah right next door to Isaiah. And he also authors Lamentations, a lament over the destruction of Jerusalem when so much of this uh, comes to pass. And then we can keep reading with uh, Ezekiel, who goes on along with and gives similar hope for the future, where uh, using the very familiar language of a shepherd, which is translated in so many different languages, pastor, no accident there, that mm-hmm. I, I myself will gather my people again. And there's, there's the Jesus time that we're, we're talking about. I also think, as you mentioned before, back on verse 1, the connective tissue with what has come before is so important. Technically, verse 1 starts with the word and, And in at least the ESV in front of me, you've got and for verse 2 and and for verse 3 with uh, but uh, right there on verse 4. And I also think that the beginning of verse 10 in that day is important for talking about that final establishment of Messiah's kingdom. Some of the, the local, the immediate, is uncertain. And I wonder um, how much of Isaiah's own personal interest is is there as the as God the Holy Spirit uses him to record what he wants the people to know. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Go ahead. go ahead. Okay, I was just going to say I, I agree with you. It, it is it is challenging to to, to identify it, um, but. There is actually, you're mentioning other scriptures, and certainly if you look at Ezekiel yeah. and Jeremiah, I mean, that's a very clear um, description of how a remnant returns, in that case, um, from the Babylonian exile. But there is actually right. in scripture some description of a return from even the Assyrian exile. And and the, and the biggest one I think of is in Second Chronicles, how you get this description that King Hezekiah, who we've mentioned, it, it like actually makes the Passover happen for the first time in, you know, Lord knows how long. And when he when he decides right. to have this Passover celebration, he goes and he sends off people with invitations to go to the north. And so he actually sends them up to Ephraim and Manasseh and Zebulun. Um, and they actually find people from Israel. There is actually some remnant that wasn't deported, apparently, by the Assyrians, or perhaps some who managed to come back um, and were living there again. 
because it says there, even though by and large they were scorned, some people from Asher and Manasseh and Zebulun, um, it says, the text says, they humbled themselves and they went to Jerusalem and they worshiped together and they observed the Passover. So there, there is actually this description that there is a remnant of Israel out of all of this Assyrian mess um, that you actually have a, a literal remnant that returns and that both the north and the south, like is prophesied there in verse uh, 13, right? That Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. There is actually a literal fulfillment in the day of Hezekiah that the people do come together and even some from the north come and worship before the true God, Yahweh. And Hezekiah, he's one of those mentioned as he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as right. his father, not literal father David had done, as his ancestor had done. Right, exactly. There was only 25 when he fully became king. He had... Mm-hmm. Uh, 29 years, and in his first month, he fixed up the temple again. Right. So, yeah, we we forget often about um, the kings and the chronicles books, which each pair was originally one book. Right. But um, there were some faithful kings. Right. reminded us it could be better, that not every ruler has to be wicked and going along with what the cool nations around them were doing. Right. And, and of course, and, and so then appreciating that, right, that Hezekiah actually sends people up to the north to go and, and bring even them in. You think of our Lord Jesus, how he reached out to the Samaritan woman at the well, right? And he, he wasn't yeah. afraid to, to reach out to those people in the north and recognize that the people of God were even there among them. And, um, you know, he, I mean, of course, he conducted his ministry up in Galilee, right? You know, you mentioned the Nazarene bit. Right. And then also, of course, you mentioned as Hezekiah, how he restores the temple. What does Jesus do? He cleanses the temple, right? Because he's the true temple. All out of time, but so much richness amen. there. Um, just a- amen. So good having you on, brother. And uh, hey, hope, hope to have you on again soon. Thank you very much. Peace and blessings. Um, everybody, that was Pastor Paul Kane, pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Sheridan, Wyoming. Thanks for tuning in. Check out our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. They're at lhfmissions.org. Have a great weekend, everybody. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Until next time, peace. In cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting by Strong Word.